where you long today, all right? Um, and um, today we're going to conclude our series that we've been talking about, Foundation. And um, I want to start off by, uh, by first just making a kind of a, a point of confession, if it's okay. Can, can I confess? Are we family? Okay, a couple of you all are my kinfolk. I heard you. I heard you. All right, so, so confession. As, as a pastor, one of, my, um, one of my greatest fears is that my kids would suffer from uh, PK syndrome. Uh, PK, you, you guys don't know what PK syndrome is, do you? Uh, if, if you don't know, let me, let me explain it for you. PK syndrome is the idea or what we know in the church culture that the pastor's kids are the worst kids in the church. And, um, and so uh, if you've been in church any length of time, if you were a child or a teenager in church, you learned how to manipulate the system mainly by the pastor's kid. If you wanted to learn how to skip things, if you wanted to do something sneaky, then you would do so and you would learn by the pastor's kid. I know this because I learned how to manipulate church culture from the pastor's kids. And so uh, it is something that uh, many pastors fear. So growing up, I, I, I learned this, but now being a pastor myself, I began to ask myself, okay, how, how do I help so that my, my kids don't become that which I learned as a child. Now, uh, what I decided not to do was I decided not to do what most pastors do, which only creates the classic PK. I decided not to figure out harder ways or more stricter ways um, to raise my kids. I, I said, I'm not going to try to dig in a little bit more, not to, not to be harder, uh, but I began to pray and to ask God, how do we disciple our kids? Like, how, how do we legitimately make them, not make them, but help them to become followers of Christ? And with, with our daughter, it, it occurred to me that what I didn't do so well with the two older siblings was it became our conversations daily, especially in a car. And so some of you have heard me talk about this before, but it is through um, a dialogue through this, this catechism called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And I'm not going to go through that today, but I, that was one of the ways that I figured out when I asked myself the question, how to disciple my daughter, I looked at that catechism and I said, okay, this is a means whereby we can begin to have a conversation around one primary question. And that one primary question that I wanted to deal with is I wanted her to know why she was here. I wanted her to understand that. I wanted her to know why she was here. So over the period of four years, we basically dialogued around four questions. Two of those years was on one question. And the one question that I want to submit to you today is kind of where we Rested, And so here's the question for you, One Church. Uh, the first question is this, um, what is the chief end of mankind? That was the question. For two years, for two years, I asked her that question every single morning on the way to school. And, um, and that was my question. And her response to me was, the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That was the response. Every, every single day for four years, we talked about that question. So I want to ask you one, church, what's the chief end of mankind? All right, so let's, let's act like that's, that's 
sentence is something for you to read. I'm going to ask you that question again. And then what you do, your response is that second line is to read all of those words on that, sec that second and third line. Okay, let's try it one more time. All right, one church, what is the chief end of mankind? Yeah, thank you, thank you. That's, that's the question. That's the question, and that's the answer for the conclusion of our series today. Um, how do we commit our lives in a matter or a manner in which we are glorifying God in all that we do? If there's ever a question that pastors get asked over and over again, it is that question. They'll say, what is my purpose in life? I'm trying to discover my purpose in life. And we answer that question over and over again in so many different ways. But I think oftentimes what we do is we muddy it. We make it a little bit confusing than it has to be. The answer is really simple, man. The, the purpose for your life, the reason why you exist is pretty simple. It is to glorify God in all that you do and to enjoy him forever. What's your purpose? I see it. We approach it so often as though God is playing this mysterious spiritual game of hot or cold and you wake up every day puzzled about the decisions that you're going to make and that we're making, hoping that our next steps is going to get us closer and closer to whatever plan that God has for us. And it's almost like that God has placed this purpose behind some rock or we're playing hide and seek and we're trying to get there. And if we can get there, then finally my life will make sense. If I can just figure out exactly what it is, God, that you are speaking to me, what's the message, what do you want me to do? If I can, if I can figure out the puzzle, if I can determine, if I can decipher the mixed messages, all these words, if I can figure them out, then I'll discover what God has planned for me. But what if I were to tell you that it doesn't matter that much? What if I were to tell you that where you work, how much education you get, the decisions that you make, what if I were to tell you that all of those things ultimately and regarding your spiritual life, although they may be important to you, they really don't matter that much at all. The God is not playing some mysterious game of hide and seek by way of your purpose and allowing you to go through life trying to figure out if the choices that you make will bring you closer to the design that he has for your life. But that's not the game that God's playing. Matter of fact, God's not playing a game at all. He's, he's not concerned about that. God, God's plan isn't wrapped in some mysterious quest that you wake up every day trying to figure out the directions on how to make it through. His plan, as a matter of fact, is not so much about the choices that you make, but it's about what do you do with whatever choices that you make. God's plan isn't about you figuring out if you're making the right choices. His plan for you is wrapped up in recognizing, are you recognizing him in whatever choices that you make? And we see this reality throughout all of scripture because some of us have been taught that, but in scripture, we see this very clearly. One of my favorite passages, Colossians 3.17, Paul says this, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. But you don't just find it there. 
You find it in other areas. You find it also in 1 Corinthians 10 and 31, where Paul again writes, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Every day we wake up, and every day when we wake up, we have choices to make. And those choices do not determine our connection to God. If you make what you think to be a wrong choice, it does not distance you further from God. It does not distance you further from your purpose because your purpose is only to glorify God in whatever you do, wherever you find yourself. The old folks used to say, baby, just blossom where you're planted. Wherever you find yourself, do the best that you can. So the question again, what's, what's my chief end? What is my purpose? Well, it's whatever you do. You do it in the name of and for the glory of God, for the glory of God. So then that brings up another question, right? Then, then what is God's glory then? If we're supposed to live our lives in a manner in which everything that we do, we glorify God, then, then what is God's glory? Here's what I'll explain to you. God's glory is how we describe the sum effect of all of his attributes. When you pull together everything that makes God who he is, that's where his glory is. So his grace, his truth, his goodness, his mercy, his justice, his power, his eternality, all that he is, everything that he is, that's where the glory of God is. And the glory of God, check it out, is intrinsic. It's not something that is added to God. It's essential to God as light is to the sun or is wet is to water, or as blue is to the sky. It's the very nature of who God is. God, God does not have a glory. He is the glory. And you can't remove that glory from God because that glory is God. You can't remove glory from God no more than you can remove light from the sun and it still be the sun. No more than you can remove blue from the sky and it still be the sky. Or that you can remove wet from water and it can still be water. Those things are intrinsic to the very nature of what they are, just like God's glory is intrinsic to the very nature and idea of who God is. So the reality is then we don't give God glory. We live our lives recognizing his glory in all of creation, recognizing all that he is and everything that he is. We see his glory, experience his glory. Now, when it comes to humanity, on the other hand, it's a little bit different. God, God is glory, but for mankind, glory is granted to us. For example, um, if there was a king or a queen, and if we were to take off their crowns and their robes, and if we were to leave them, say, for instance, in an alley next to a, a homeless person for a few weeks, if you were to return after that time period was up and you were to look at that king and the queen, you would not be able to determine the difference between them and between the homeless person because the glory that they enjoy was granted to them and if you remove those things that ascribe them glory, they're simple, ordinary people just like you and I. The thing about God is this. There is absolutely nothing you can do to extract his glory. You can remove all the dialogue. People can distance themselves from God. But no matter what you do, God is glory. It's nature. It cannot be taken away, nor can it be added to. It is the very idea of his being. 
So our, our lives are supposed to be committed to recognizing and acknowledging the glory of God that's present in our lives. And so that then leads to another question then. If that's what God's glory is, if God's glory is the sum total of all of his attributes, then how do we, how do we, how do we live up under that? Now, if you've been to church in any length of time, here's what you'll know. If you've been a believer, rather, in any length of time, you'll discover the more that you draw closer to God, eventually you're going to be confronted by God's glory. Eventually, you will always be confronted by God's glory. This happens when his attributes that flow from his glory, we are confronted with his attributes and we begin to see him more for who he is when we are confronted by those attributes. Y'all looking at me like y'all know what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about real quick. The attributes that flow from him, you discover and you'll know him, experience his glory when you experience his grace and her twin sister mercy. When you recognize how gracious God is and you recognize the mercy that's been placed upon your life, when you begin to see that and see how it directly impacts your life, that it is not some deep ethereal thing that you can't connect with, when you know that you've been saved by grace and when you know that you've been kept by mercy, you begin to see God for his glory. Or what about his knowledge? What about the more that you begin to know God and you begin to unpack his word or when the spirit begins to speak to you and you discover that there is nothing that you can encounter, nothing that you can experience that's too great, too lofty for God, that God knew these things before they ever even came into existence or, or his goodness. Do you remember, maybe you don't, I don't know if you do, do but do you remember when you recognize that God's goodness was greater than whatever experience we have on earth. When his goodness shined forth even when things and matters didn't feel good. Do you remember when you encountered his goodness, when you had nothing else to say that in spite of everything that I'm going on, the Lord is good? or his justice and his power when you saw that the Lord your God is not a God who is ill-concerned or unconcerned with the state of humanity, but the God that we love is concerned with those who are less than those who are pushed out to the margins, those who, who have been left out by all of society. And when you discover that the God that we serve is concerned with the least of these, and you knew and you found that that was your God, you began to see God he is. Over time, brothers and sisters, if you just stay around, you'll be confronted with his glory. You'll be confronted with his glory, and it'll reveal to you exactly who God is. And so when we do so, what happens is his nature then, as a consequence, it transforms us. It transforms who you are when you're confronted by his glory. A classic example of this is if you remember the story of Job. And you remember the story of Job. Job had this, this enormous tragedy that happened upon his life. He lost his children. He lost all of his wealth. He was exposed uh, by some of his faulty relationships. And as you go through the entirety of the story, God finally speaks up and tells Job exactly who he is. And when Job experiences God, when he sees God, when the radiating light or the glory of God exposes God to Job, in the midst of Job's great trauma and pain, Job speaks up and says, man, I've been speaking about things that was too wonderful for me. 
But now that I see you for myself, check this out, in the midst of his trauma and pain, he says, now that I see you for myself, I repent because the glory of God was greater than his pain. The glory of God was greater than his trauma. When he saw God for who he was, Job recognized, man, I've been placing things, I've given glory to things that don't deserve it. But now that I see you, God, you are greater than all those things. And so that brings upon this, this idea of him. What happens usually so often with people is that when life happens, and we know that it always does, when life happens, our natural instinct is to run. And we distance ourselves from God, hoping that eventually we'll find ourselves in a better state where we can then return to God. But if you read throughout the entirety of Scripture, the way that humanity is healed is not by running or distancing themselves from God, but when you are experiencing whatever you're experiencing, you draw closer to God. And when you draw closer to the God in the midst of whatever you're experiencing, you are then confronted by his glory. And whatever you experience, God puts his hands upon it. And God can show you how you can have what the Bible calls peace in the midst of your storm. You can discover how you can find a way out of no way because you encounter, you are confronted by God's glory. And when we're confronted by God's glory, we are then transformed. You become better when you experience God's glory. Just my whole point for today, and I'm almost done, believe it or not. The whole point of today is for us to determine what do we do with the glory of God. What does Colossians 3 and 17 or 1 Corinthians 10 and 31, what does that mean for my life? It means then once you get to know God, you're confronted by God, by his glory. It determines then how you are transformed. Therefore, it determines how you live your life. Because you become better when you meet the fullness, the totality of who God is. I saw this actually in a weird kind of quirky movie that I love. Um, there's, there's an old movie uh, with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt called As Good As It Gets. Anybody ever seen that movie? I, I, love, I love that movie. Uh, I love it. Jack, Jack Nicholson is this, this quirky author who has this severe case of OCD. And every day he goes to this restaurant and he refuses to be served by anybody else other than Helen Hunt's character who's a waitress at this restaurant. And he goes there every day, and he says some of the most offensive things. He doesn't know it. It's a part of his condition, but it's a part of what happens. And through the movie, we see their relationship just kind of grow through a number of circumstances. Long story short, later on in the movie, they're at dinner. And once more, he says something that's very offensive to Helen Hunt. And they're on a date, and she says, either you say something nice to me, or else I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk out of here right now. So Jack says, okay. He says, I- I've got this condition. And, um, and the doctor says that I have to take this medication to feel better, but, but I don't like pills. And, um, and she says, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm working my way. Um, well, the time that we had a discussion, and you said that there was no way that there would be a me and you, the very next morning, I woke up and I took my pills. And she asked him, well, how is that a compliment to me? 
And his response was very simple. You make me want to be a better man. When you're confronted by the glory of God, here's what Jack was saying. I've encountered something in you that is special, that is unique, that changes the very nature of who I am. And because I've encountered and I see something special in you, I want that to be a part of who I am. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I keep that present and prevalent in my life because you make me want to be better. That's what happens, my sisters and brothers, when we encounter the glory of God. Something happens when you discover God is. Everything that they wrote about him, everything that your mom and daddy talked about him, everything that your grandmother prayed that you would discover, something happens when it becomes more than just a theory or an idea, it becomes a reality in your life. And all of a sudden, each and every day, you wake up posing the question, God, I've got these decisions that I've got to make. I've got this job that I've got to go to. I've got this relationship that I'm in. And rather than me trying to figure out if the step that I'm going to make is going to be the right or the wrong step, God, I'm trying to figure out how can I give my very best in where I am? How can I work my job the best way that I can so that even at my work, no matter what I'm doing, God, you are being glorified. How can I go to school and no matter how I love or don't love the work that I'm doing, how can I do it in a manner that, God, you are being glorified? How can I love my spouse in a manner, even though we have differences and even though we fight like cats and dogs, Lord, how can I do it in a manner that you are being glorified in how I love the people that you placed in my life? When you encounter the glory of God as a natural byproduct, what happens is you do better wherever you are. It makes you want to be a better man and a better woman the glory of God transforms you and I remember I don't know if you all remember maybe some of you guys who are in love today and you remember before you met that person you remember all the things that you said that you wouldn't do and do you remember when you met that person, all of a sudden the things that you said you, do, you wouldn't do, now you do it whistling Dixie. I'm so grateful that I get to do this thing. I'm so happy that I get to do so. The sacrifice of life. All the things that we once said that we wouldn't do, the things that we didn't have the energy or strength to do, the fortitude to do, once you meet our Jesus, and once he takes hold upon your heart, the things that were a struggle, the things that were difficult, although they still may be hard, you do so fully knowing that God is going to be the get the glory. And if God gets the glory, I, I'm okay with that. I'm fine. I just want to see him for who he is. I just want to experience the fullness of who God is. I want him to be glorified in my life, in all that I do, in every word or deed and whatever I eat or drink, no matter what it is, I want God to get the glory. And can you imagine our world if that was the attitude? Can you imagine how just the hand? All of us who are in here today, if that was our attitude, if you woke up tomorrow and you said, Lord, the only thing that I'm focusing on today is that you get glory in all that I do. How can we change the world if just us exit from here with that ethic? That in every conversation, you're trying to figure out, God, how can you be glorified right here? And I promise you, 
if just the few of us who are here today, if we live our lives asking that question out of every choice and decision that we make, it'll be infectious and it'll transform you and transform those whom you encounter on a daily basis. And I told you I was done quick today. I'm finished. Come on, let's stand to your feet.